0: Mitch Birelis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday.
1: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Arizona Cardinals hired a head coach this week, a former coordinator who played in the Super Bowl just this past weekend. That's pretty good. You could make the argument that they hired the wrong one, though. That's not good. Defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon from the Eagles. He gets hired as head coach in Arizona. That might work out. Perfectly fine. That's all I can say about that. You just don't know. You just don't have the foresight to know how it's going to turn out. But another guy who hasn't gotten the shot that I believe he deserves is Eric Biennemi, offensive coordinator under Andy Reid in Kansas City for, I believe, the last five seasons. Won two Super Bowls as offensive coordinator. The first thing Andy Reid said when he was handed the trophy on the podium after the Super Bowl, he thanked two people for winning the Super Bowl neither of them were himself, although we can all say that Andy Reid is one of the best coaches in the NFL. He thanked his MVP quarterback, mm-hmm. two-time MVP, two-time uh, Super Bowl champ Patrick Mahomes, and he thanked Eric Bieniemy. Well, so you are aware that he has a new job now, right? As of today, what was it? Was officially. It today? T- officially, officially today, reported yesterday, Eric Bieniemy is going to be the offensive coordinator slash assistant head coach in Washington. Correct. Under Ron Rivera. See, like,
0: this is... This is is unfortunately not what we were hopeful of, I think, as two casual fans who watch football and understand how great of a job he's done. But this is a fantastic step in the next direction. I think this was the one job that was as close to being a head coach as he could have gotten. But it's just
1: sad. It's not enough. Which is sad because I think that there have been plenty of coordinators. You could throw Jonathan Gannon in there. You could throw Shane Steichen in there. Uh, in recent years, Kevin O'Connell, you could throw in there, who have gotten head coaching opportunities directly after being coordinators in the Super Bowl, let alone winning one, as Eric bien has done twice. Now... Here's the thing. You have to shake a narrative, right, if you're Eric Bieniemy, You've yeah. had the best quarterback in the league over the last five seasons and Patrick Mahomes. You've had the best head coach above you in the NFL in the last five years. I would make the case as Andy Breed. So in order to land that next job, does he really have to go and prove himself? That appears to be what he's trying to do. And it's hard to do that in today's NFL because one of the growing requirements for the new head coach, if it's going to be an offensive guy— is they need head co- uh, they need play calling experience, and that's increasingly difficult to find in an offensive coordinator who is going to be your next head coach because a lot of head coaches get hired and they choose to do that. But
0: I have to imagine enemy was calling plays at some point. I mean, even Andy Reid has pointed out that
1: enemy has had stretches where he's called plays. Yes, successfully stretches. By the way. But I think when you're hiring a guy to be your head coach, you want the assurance that that guy was in full control of the offense. And can you really say that anybody but Andy Reid had full control of that offense in Kansas City? OK, counter argument. Does it matter? Yeah. He's the
0: offensive coordinator of a two out of four Super Bowls champion. Oh, listen, I'm
1: with you. I think he deserved an opportunity at the least. Teams like the Arizona Cardinals should have been talking to Eric Bieniemy. They didn't even interview him. Didn't even give him an interview. And I think he has a better he has a better uh, resume, better reputation than some of the candidates that they did interview. No offense to any of the guys they interviewed. I'm sure they were all great candidates. But does Eric Bieniemy have a more impressive resume than Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions? I say yes. Does he have a better track record than even somebody with head coaching experience like Vance Joseph, who you and I have talked about? Never has a top ten defense in his career as a coordinator or coach. Mm-hmm. Does not have a top ten defense. Eric Bieniemy has a top ten offense every year. Yep, and won two titles. So again, it's it's this fine line of how much credit do we give him versus how much does he still have to prove. I'm glad that he's going to get this opportunity in Washington. I'm like you. I think that this is great for him. He's going to get the chance to fully run an offense. There's also a racial component, which we don't have to dive too heavily into, but isn't it somewhat ironic that the coach that was willing to go and give him this opportunity was Ron Rivera, one of the very few head coaches in the NFL who is a person of color. Or you could
0: look at it as the ownership group that is approving this move is Daniel Snyder's ownership group. Somebody
1: who really every move he makes from here on out is just trying to save face. Well, of course it is. That's that's the MO now. For I, I that mean, like
0: whether or not he actually ends up selling his stake in the team is unknown. He was just exploring and it's been going on for several months now. But yeah, it almost feels like a safe face for Washington. It's still a fantastic opportunity for Eric. I agree. Here's the other thing that comes with it. Here's my inkling is that if everything goes great for the offense, but if the defense starts to falter and Washington ends up sitting like middle of the pack or below five hundred as the season rolls on. It sets up
1: perfectly to just move on from Ron Rivera and promote Eric enemy. That's see, the other thing. I agree with you. Like in that specific scenario you just laid out. Yeah, that's, pro- that's possible. The thing is, we hear about these succession plans all the time, right? Bruce Arians had a succession plan that it was going to be Todd Bowles. And then obviously Bulls has to go elsewhere to find his head coaching well, opportunity. Let's Byron left, that, which it's a good thing that it wasn't Todd Bowles. No, and, here I, in and I get that. But but looking back, these are always the plan, right? The plan sure. is to have somebody ready, waiting in the wings to take over. Her for Edwards the setting older up coach. Antonio Pierce at ASU. It's it happens a lot, right? You have the plan, and then how often does that actually come to pass? How often does that coach actually retire or actually get fired or they actually move on and the team says, you know what? We made a promise to so-and-so and and we're going to uphold that promise. I'm shaking my head. People can't see it, but I'm shaking my head in front of you. It almost never happens because those guys realize I got to go elsewhere for this opportunity or those coaches who are having success like the Andy Reeds of the world. Andy Reed was asked right after the Super Bowl. Have you thought about retiring? He's like, hell no. I ain't going nowhere. Have you seen the success that I've got? as long as i got that guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the quarterback I have? Why would I retire now when I could win another
0: couple Super Bowls with that guy? Like, that's the other thing, too, is, like, the Chiefs, respectfully, we'll, we'll find out next year, but the Chiefs don't need Eric Bieniemy to be no. successful. They already moved on. They hired, they promoted Clearly. Matt Nagy. But, okay, so five years— Matt Nagy left and then Eric Bieniemy got the job. That's how this all started. And now yep. Nagy's back and I'm sure they're just going to
1: elevate Nagy. And you know and what? It'll be, a, it'll be a hilarious little cycle. I read this morning that the Chiefs are already talking about a succession plan for Andy Reid. And then in five years or however many years it takes, he can ride uh, off into the sunset. And Matt Nagy is there and waiting in the wings with head blah, coaching. Blah experience. blah 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 blah. But blah, it blah, goes blah. to my point, or to the point you were making, really, is that there's always a succession plan. How often do we actually rely
0: on it? Okay, but you're also not giving a guy the title of assistant head coach unless you already have basically promised it to the guy. Yeah, I mean, how much how much time does Ron Rivera have left on his contract? Ron Rivera is not young either. No, he's also battling or has battled cancer
1: right so like how much longer does he want to keep doing this realistically another interesting aspect of that is he does have some experience with uh I can't find a better word than grooming a coordinator to become a head coach. He did it with Steve Wilkes. Best example is probably Sean McDermott, his former D.C. in Carolina, as we all know, now the coach of the Buffalo Bills. Well, and, and I was speaking, if you want to go back to the racial component for a moment, Steve Wilkes got the head coaching job here in Arizona, ironically. Mm. Uh, so if there's a place for Eric Bieniemy to go and shake that narrative, Washington might be the best place for him. So I'm with you. I think it's a great opportunity for Eric. I think it's a great opportunity for Rivera and for the Commanders. I can. We're just I, I'm surprised the, I got the name right of the team. We're just we're just mad, mad, mad that, that the Cardinals did. didn't even interview him. That's the thing. It, would Eric Biehnemy have been a fit with Jonathan Gannon, a new head coach, brand new head coach, who's in charge of the defense and he's good at it? But. Uh, I would have liked for them to go and find somebody who's more than capable with the offense and has experience with play calling at least a little bit. But here's the problem. You're not going to be able to hire
0: Jonathan Gannon and then convince Eric Bieniemy to take the same job in a different city. The only reason that he is coaching for the Commanders now is that little itty-bitty tag that comes right before offensive coordinator on this nice little graphic that they posted on their Twitter account, assistant head coach. Is that something the Cardinals could have offered him? Not, if you, Jonathan hi- not if you hire a different new head coach. No way. What if Jonathan Gannon no was way, on board? But no way you're going to tell Jonathan Gannon, your new head coach, oh, by the way, we're going to hire an assistant head coach. No, no, no. Remember but, how that worked out last time when but they But what if it Cliff was Kingsbury? Jonathan
1: Gannon's M.O.? What if he wanted to do that?
0: Could they have done it? Well, then he needs to tell that to Michael Bidwell. It can't be Michael Bidwell telling that to him. Yeah, it obviously be, it didn't happen. It can't happen. be Steve Kime telling that to Cliff Kingsbury. Hey, we're going to hire a guy that's got coaching experience to help you get you warmed up. Right. Okay, then why are you making this dude your head coach if he's not ready to go? Right. Simple as that. I don't it, think you could have gotten both. It would have been one or the other. We
1: talked with our Cardinals insider, Tyler Drake, earlier about candidates for offensive coordinator. And, and I'm not going to lie to you. You're not going to recognize any of them. They're going to be position coaches from other destinations and other spots along the way for Jonathan Cannon, people that he trusts and knows. And I, I'm going to put the benefit of the doubt in his camp because I think that he's probably going to make the right decision and pick people that he trusts. And we just have to roll with that. But I'm here to tell you that I think what Eric Bieniemy got in Washington was something that could have been attainable here in Arizona. They just didn't go that route. And I'm a little disappointed they didn't at least talk to him about the head coaching opening. Coming up next, Steve.
0: Pitchers and catchers are reported this week. I've waited so long to say that, too. Have the Diamondbacks fully cemented their 2023 opening day roster? Maybe. We'll talk about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch
1: and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Uh, the Super Bowl is over, and that can only mean one thing. Wait, the what? The big game was no like the Super the Bowl? football game. Did that happen? That happened last week. That was oh my gosh, which means only one thing: it's baseball season. Let's go! I could not be more excited. Let's that. freaking go! The D backs pitchers and catchers reported to camp this week. We've already seen uh, some of the guys throwing, and it's really in full swing now. And players <laughs> are going to report soon. Full swing. Yeah, you see what it is did there? Yeah. See what I did? Uh, if you check it out at ArizonaSports.com, uh, Cody Fitcher and I, we do a podcast called The Ain't No Fang Podcast, all things baseball and D-backs. We put together our opening day roster predictions for the season. I don't think the D-backs roster is a difficult puzzle to figure out. It's pretty straightforward this year. It kind of reminds me of 2020s team.
0: How so? Well, because they traded for Starling Marte, which almost solidified a center field spot. Then they were going to push Cattell Marte into second base. Then they got Madison Bumgarner. He became the anchor in the rotation. And then they got Cole Calhoun, and he solved the right field problem. Like, they almost kind of did all the puzzle piecing together for us, right? Right. That's kind of how it feels. The only thing that really is to figure out this year is, like, who's going to be what at what position on yeah. a
1: daily basis. so to walk you through it pretty quickly, uh, and again, you can find this at ArizonaSports.com. We did a full podcast on it as well. Um, the catcher position is solidified. Carson Kelly's still around, and they traded for Gabriel Moreno. That was a part of the Dalton Varshow trade. He's good. You don't move off of Varsho without... So it, it, like, clearly, you doing that says you're going to give a significant role to Moreno. I wouldn't be surprised if Carson Kelly is the quote unquote primary catcher at mm-hmm. least in the start of the season but i think moreno is going to start to see more and more time as we go along this season so catcher is down to those two guys on the bubble would be jose herrera first base is easy christian walker he played 160 games last season at the position he's durable and he hits he's your only power, power hitter hits, too by say. the way or really your most effective power hitter second base belongs to katel Marte. obviously health is always a question mark with him how about defense Defense is a good question mark, they gave, they
0: gave him what he wanted last year, and he th- was awful defensively last year in
1: the very small sample size that he had, too, because to your point, injuries. I think third base plays a role in the second base conversation because you just went out and acquired Evan Longoria to get a right-handed bat in the infield, so he brings a little bit of balance. Josh Rojas is your primary third baseman, but I think we're going to see a lot of him at second base spelling Cattell Marte to try to keep him as healthy as possible also. I... <laughs> I mean, I guess
0: I, I've, I've never liked the strategy that they approach this of, oh, well, we want guys to be able to play anywhere that we put them, right? I don't think that's at this stage. I don't think that's fair to the guy. I right? think there's like less of that, t- that this year. Like though. the San Francisco Giants have done that a lot in recent years because they haven't really had a lot, a lot of solidified spots on the roster, right? Like Buster Posey's now gone. Brandon Belt's now gone. Evan Longoria, as we just mentioned, is now gone. And the Diamondbacks kind of tried to do the same thing back in 2020 where they were just putting guys wherever, right? Like, oh, you can also play here because that's where we need you to play. Or you can also play over here because that's what we want you to do.
1: I think you'll see a little more consistency in the lineup this year. They need it. They have some flexibility, but even as recently as this week, they've expressed some, uh, not dissatisfaction, but some hesitancy to put Evan Longoria at first base. And speaking about just, that just, DH just, just trying guys at different spots But I do think that Catal Marte Cannot play 145, 150 games at second base Therefore you're going to need somebody who can Rojas is probably that guy Shortstop, Nick Ahmed and Geraldo Perdomo Are both back with, Perdomo really struggled last year off offensively. With Jordan Lawler waiting in the wings Let's be real Yeah, and he's probably going to come along here At the end of the season Do you think Nick Ahmed gets cut or traded this year? I don't know what you're going to get if if he's playing well enough to get traded mid year, then maybe you consider keeping him because he's playing well. Uh, But also, but but then why would you keep him if you know
0: that you've got this generational talent waiting and ready to go?
1: He's on the final year of his contract. A lot of it depends on what you're going to get. That's just it. It's like
0: you don't you don't sit there and hold on to a dude if he's producing well on the final year and you know for a fact that despite the lack of offense from Perdomo last year, his defense is really good, and you've got this. Awesome player in Jordan Lawler, who got all the way up to double A last year, looks like he could be ready to go by the end of this
1: season. I think that what you can get out of Nick Ahmed compared to Perdomo offensively for those two months between the trade deadline and the September call up of Lawler potentially, what you get there out of Ahmed is probably more important to you as a team than whatever you're getting back in a trade for Ahmed.
0: I mean, either or, that's just how I feel. Either or is going to be hitting eighth or ninth in this lineup, right? Probably. I don't foresee either one of them. Granted, every spot in the lineup is important, but I don't foresee either one of them being like the oh my gosh, we need them to produce offensively, and that's what's going to keep them in the lineup. It helps, but I argue that if Nick Ahmed is having a season where he's got some value on the remaining days of his contract. You trade them and try to recoup assets, whatever assets they may be. That may
1: be possible. We'll see what, what, what happens and what transpires down the, um, down the uh, pike. But And the outfield, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy. I think we expect all three of those left-handed hitting young outfielders to be around. Alec Thomas did struggle with the bat late in the season. They sent him down to AAA, and he started raking. But that's your best defensive trio. Yeah, Kyle,
0: probably. Kyle Lewis is good, but he's been struggling with injuries Uh, following his rookie season in the shortened COVID campaign. So I don't know exactly what he'll be able to provide. Never really was able to click offensively when he was at the big leagues. I mean, I'm saying this about a rookie of the year winner, but he's been struggling with injuries and at the plate. Defense is okay, but I don't know what you're going to get. That trio right there, though, is your best defensive outfield.
1: Lourdes Gurriel is in that mix. They acquired him in the Far show trade. They're certainly going to use him. I think he'll get some looks at DH. I think he'll play left field a lot. Uh, and he's actually an above-average left fielder. So I think that Lourdes Gurriel plays a significant role in this outfield as well. So not a lot of question marks in the positions. Uh, the position player groups. They they put together the puzzle for us. The starting rotation does have one question mark because you have your front four, which are going to be Zach Gatton, Allen Merrill Kelly Madison Bumgarner and Zach Davies but I agree with who you picked for five the fifth spot could be a couple dudes could be who I picked which is Dre Jameson came up in September he's got some good stuff he He throws pretty hard good in the month of September Tommy Henry's a name he pitched in the College World Series with Michigan a couple years back another college pitcher like Jamison. um he's a lefty He's a little bit more of a control guy. He doesn't throw as hard as Jameson, so that's an option. He's got a few more starts at the Major League level than Jameson as well. Uh, there's other guys they could throw in there, and Corbin Martin might get a chance, although I, I feel like they're waning on him. I feel like his ship has sailed. Yeah.
0: I think that the only successful piece from the Zach Greinke trade is, that is Josh Rojas, and I don't know if that's saying much anymore. What about Ryan Nelson? Ryan Nelson's an option. Also had a good September, but he got hurt towards the end, so he's had the whole offseason to recover, but he... I mean, what was it? He had 13 uh, consecutive shutout innings to start his career.
1: I think you could see him early in the season, uh, and one of these other guys kind of supplants him at some point. I could see that happening. I just think the upside is higher for both Henry and Jamison. An out-of-the-box idea is Brandon fought. He's now the Diamondbacks' best starting I think it might might
0: be early yeah it is not that I like oh he's not ready I just think it's early you've got five guys that seem like they can do the job he would need to blow them out of the water and And I agree with you it should be Dre because what does Dre have that neither of the four ahead of him have in this rotation stuff. Velocity. A lot of velocity. He can hit 100 with regularity. They need that in this rotation.
1: The bullpen's probably the most up-in-the-air thing, but there are some locks. Mark Melanson, as bad as he was in non-save chances last year, he was really good in save opportunities They're paying last him year. to be that, so... He's, they're paying him $7 million, so he's back. Andrew Chafin is now back. The Sheriff is back in town. They paid him $6.5 million last week to come back and be a lefty in this bullpen. He will be there. Miguel Castro... They signed uh, and gave a lot of incentives in his contract for finishing games. Mm -hmm. That's a guy that could potentially be a closer option. Joe Mantaply went to the All-Star game. I think he'll have a middle relief role on this team. We'll see if he can replicate what he did last year. That's a very hard thing to do. Scott McGuff is the last lock I have in the bullpen. He's a guy that's coming over from Japan, I believe. And he's got a nasty splitter that I've heard about. So I'm really excited to see what he's got. They offered him a couple million dollars. The last three spots in the bullpen I gave to Kevin Ginkle, who was an animal in the last month of the season, just dominant. I hope that he can continue that success. Kyle Nelson, a really good young lefty. And then Carlos Vargas is the last guy. I think you could maybe throw a couple of their names like Juris Familia. They went out of their way to trade for him, didn't they? Carlos Vargas was a trade. And he's a kind of guy who has 100 mile an hour stuff. He's very raw. But I, think, I think they acquired him with the idea of him being a project. Look, I think we all agree the one thing missing from the Diamondbacks pitching staff last
0: year was velocity. Oh, no, totally. And let's take a look at what you've predicted. Trey Jameson can throw in the hundreds. Yep. Miguel Castro, Scott McGuff, Carlos Vargas. Those are all guys that can hit that triple digits on the velocity scale. And at this stage of Major League Baseball, you need to be able to hit that level while also countering with something incredibly off-speed to that.
1: Yeah, so anyway, you can check it out at ArizonaSports.com. It's our rundown of who we think could make the opening day roster. Not a lot of question marks, but a couple of spots that are open for some competition this spring.
0: I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm so ready for baseball to be back. Coming up next, so they have the GM, they have the head coach, and they need to fill out the rest of the coaching staff, but there's one other massive item on the Cardinals' to-do list. And we'll tell you what it is next on the Arizona Sports Saturday Show.
1: Oops, why are you
0: Mitch Fereldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us, Mitch and Steve, here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Got about a half hour left here in the auction community studios.
1: I got to get home for the dunk contest. Oh, God. So I can see Mac McClung. Oh, no. Jericho Sims and Trey Murphy. I don't know who any of these people are. Oh, you left, you left out somebody. I have no Oh, and uh, K.J. Martin. There you go. No idea who that is either. What, who are these people? What the hell happened to the dunk contest, man? <laughs> I don't know. Why is there somebody from the Rockets in the dunk contest? You, you know
0: what it is? It's this, it's this vicious cycle of, ooh, the dunk contest was cool, and then it got overblown. This website? And then lists- the dunk contest got good again, and then now
1: it's... This website lists Mac McClung from the Delaware Blue Coats. Yeah, that's the G League. That's my point. I think that's my point. Look. Scraping at the
0: bottom of the barrel. Here's, yeah. Here's, here's my retort. This is awesome for Mac McClung. Good for him to get invited. Yeah, good to, for no, him. No, 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 is no. it good for us? Let me finish. Let me finish. Because that is my counterpoint. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. Good for Mac McClung. Awesome you get to participate in this. Uh, Uh, Follow up to this. Cancel the dunk contest. What a waste of time. Yeah, I think. Well, if if you're you're trying this
1: hard just to get four people to go, don't bother. Please. There needs to be some sort of incentive that gets good players to participate.
0: Because we. I saw a report earlier that there was a million each offered to, I believe it was LeBron,
1: Vince Carter, Dwayne Wade, and somebody
0: else. But a million each. It
1: ain't going to get it done. Does LeBron need one more million? Out of how many does he make per year on know. his shoes and hey, all the it, other stuff? People will do anything for money. Uh, not for a million. Not at that level. But like, you could get a really good, like like a Zach Levine. Could he do it for a million? Okay, Maybe. But, he, I don't know. But even, even you say that. Zach Levine wasn't
0: anybody when he was invited to the dunk contest that year. He and Aaron Gordon lit it up. I don't know. He was pretty widely regarded as one of the more athletic players. Okay, what team league. was he on? Timberwolves. Okay. I was just making wasn't sure you... Uh, yeah, he was. Okay. I was just making sure you remembered because... He's been on a couple of teams since. Yeah. My point being that if you're trying this hard just to put together one competition and these are four people you can get. This was an eight man contest at one point in time,
1: by the way. There's got to be something that makes players feel like they would accomplish <sighs> something by being in it. Like the home run derby had a had a dip for a while. Right. I I think for, has for it, a few years has it, it gone dipped, back up. I think so. I think players are really proud to be in it now. Look at what Pete Alonso has done with that event. Look at some of the other players that really wanted to be in it. They you know, got Shohei Otani. They got Juan Soto. I wonder they if got they, the best players I, I wonder if they look at
0: it the same way, where it's like, sure, I'll do it once, but I'm not going to do it again because it, it, quote, screws up my game. Maybe. Close quote. Anyway, can't wait to watch that tonight. Well, you can watch the three-point contest afterwards if you oh, really I'm sure want to. sure that's even better, right? Now, I imagine what members of the Arizona Cardinals brass are going to be doing is watching a lot of film, yeah. particularly of college players. And particularly, I would guess of people who play on the defensive side of the ball, in particular, Alabama's Will Anderson and Georgia's Jalen Carter, who have been multiple times over been mocked to the Arizona Cardinals at number three. Is that the right move? Yes. I'm just going to cut you off right now and say
1: (laughs) I just answered my own questions.
0: But what do you think? Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, is there some other wild card guy that they should be looking at? I don't
1: think there is. Well, I don't think that the order of the draft now is the same that it will be on draft night, if that makes sense. So Mm. the most intriguing aspect of all of this is that the number one team, the number one pick in the draft belongs to the Chicago Bears. Why is that interesting? Well, that's a team that already has a quarterback in Justin Fields who had... Some level of success last season that they were pretty pleased with in Chicago, although the team did not reflect that in their record, 3-14. and 14, They lost the last 10 games of the year. Mm-hmm. Chicago, there is an endless list of possibilities for them in this draft. They could trade the number one pick to a team like Houston at number two, Indianapolis at number four. Who else is down here? Carolina at nine. Detroit, in theory, at number six. Las Vegas at number seven. Atlanta, Carolina. Any of these teams could move up to number one. That's a possibility for Chicago. Vegas might be the one to do that, though. Chicago also could move Justin Fields if they saw fit. If they looked at the scenario and said, we can have any quarterback we want at number one. Maybe you like Bryce Young. We could have Bryce Young. And we could get whatever we can get for Justin Fields and build the team around Bryce Young. They could do that. One other thing they could do, they could trade Justin Fields and they could trade the number one pick and move down to, let's say, four or two and still get a good quarterback in You could get Levis, you could get C.J. Stroud, you could get Anthony Richardson somewhere between 5 and 10. I don't like that philosophy, personally. No, 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 I'm not saying I would endorse it, but it's a possibility. I know it's a possibility. They could go get a ton of assets in this trade. I just generally look at it
0: as, no, no. Why would you do that? Why would you... Okay, if you trade away from the pick, sure, whatever, and keep Justin Fields. If you decide to trade Justin Fields, okay, you're already in prime position to take the quarterback, so why would you trade out of that spot? They could
1: do both. Now, if if they, you, but you have the first pick! If they, if they go into this and they say, we like the top three quarterbacks more than we like Justin Fields, which is a possibility. I can't imagine it's true, but it's a possibility. I disagree with it, but, but you can Sure, they could, in theory, make a lot of moves that completely throw this draft out of whack. Then let's move to the next wild card, which is number two, Houston. Does Houston really want to rest on their laurels and see what's available to them at number two, or do they allow somebody like Indianapolis to jump them to number one? Because if you're Houston, you have to have it in your head that somebody's moving up to number one. I don't expect Chicago to pick number one. I don't. I think they're going to either move the pick or move the player. I really do. In reality, Chicago
0: needs help on both sides of the ball. They do. So more picks would accomplish that. So trading out of one, I agree with you, seems the most likely. Who's going to do it though? I don't think Indianapolis th- makes sense to me. Indy probably has the most capital to do it too. Yep. Whereas the, I don't think the Raiders have that much capital because they had the Derek Carr or the not Derek Carr, the Devonte Adams trade.
1: Brand new head coach, offensive minded Shane Steichen from the Eagles. Does he want to replicate what they did with Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia with a Bryce Young? With a, it's a different, Stroud. It's a different build, though. Bryce Young sure. is not the same build as Jalen Hurts. You can't do
0: all the same stuff no, that you no. did with Jalen Hurts to do with Bryce Young.
1: No, but on some level, you can replicate the system. And maybe he has a quarterback in mind that he could get at one that he can't get at four. That's a possibility. If you're Houston, you've, and you're D'Amico Ryans now, too, new head coach, you got to be thinking, okay, I have to assume someone's jumping me to number one. So do I move up to number one? Remember, uh, what was the year? I, I See, I knew you were
0: going to go here, and I don't like this because there was no way in hell San Francisco was going to take a quarterback at two. And yet Chicago was so desperate to make sure that they traded up, just swapping spots with San Francisco to make sure that they got the best quarterback because, oh, maybe Kansas City. Oh, maybe Houston is going to trade up. Yeah. And
1: they didn't even get the bell of the ball. Teams do this sometimes. Remember when the Sixers moved up for Markel Fultz? Oh. Remember when the 49ers moved up and then they took Solomon Thomas? Oh, well, they moved back. Oh, that was a back? That was the Trubisky draft. That was the Bears who got Trubisky. My point exactly. Teams will move up to secure the guy that they want, whether it's
0: the best player or not. So that trade didn't really work for either
1: team. No, I mean.
0: Actually, it did work for San Francisco because they got Fred Warner in the end. Well, that's true. So here's who's the popular mocks right now to three. Will Anderson, 21 Times. There's a mock draft tracker we have on ArizonaSports.com. Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider, does keep does the upkeep of it. Jalen Carter, 19 times. So there's an edge rusher, and then there's an interior rusher. And I don't know if you remember, Jalen Carter had that moment where he picked up Jaden Daniels in the uh, SEC championship game with one arm and was lifting him up while holding up his finger. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, smart. He's a strong dude. Um, so 21 for Will Anderson, 19 for Carter. And then it's single digits for the rest. The next most popular option is trading down. Five different mocks have the Cardinals trading down. It's an option. Two mocks have them taking Texas Tech defensive end Tyree Wilson. So just another defensive option. One mock had them taking Georgia offensive tackle Broderick Jones. And then one
1: mock had them taking Oregon cornerback Christian Gonzalez. It was good. I don't know if he's number three good. Uh, it depends on what Monty Austin Ford is looking for, right? Because you're a team that doesn't need a quarterback and you're sitting at number three. And while there's two generational talents defensively, at the same time, uh, to, to these mocks point, I mean, the Cardinals could move down into the five to ten range and still get a very good player that's not Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. And, and acquire a bunch of other assets to go along with it. I That's argue, possible.
0: I argue as it stands right now, you don't have Zach Allen. You got a not great year out of Marcus Golden after he held in to get more money. Don't forget about that. You've got Isaiah Simmons where you have no idea where to put him. You got Zayvon Collins in the middle. You don't really have the strongest interior rushers like Rashard Lawrence can't stay healthy. Yeah. When he's been healthy, he's been solid, but he can't stay healthy. You cannot sacrifice this opportunity
1: to take one of these two guys, in my opinion. I would rather have Will Anderson. Can I explain why? Sure. I think that an elite-level pass rusher in the NFL comes along less often. It carries more value than a person at Jalen Carter's position. There are great interior pass rushers like Jalen Carter— Aaron Donald's the best example. J.J. Watt, who just retired from the Cardinals, is a great example. Uh How many of them are there? Chris Jones. Chris Jones is a good example. How many are there beyond that? That's why you go get him. You don't know that he's going to be that. But there are three of them. There are three of them. In the last decade?
0: Five years? Okay, so then maybe you get lucky in free agency by
1: getting an edge rusher. I want an elite edge rusher. I want Will Anderson. I want the guy who's coming off the edge. Look, as long as they don't put him at safety, we'll be fine. Look at the guys who have made the biggest impact in pass rushing in the last 10 years. I think Chandler Jones is one of those guys in that conversation. Vaughn Miller is in that conversation. I think this guy looks like Vaughn Miller to me. The size is a little bit different, but man, the quick step off the edge. Will Anderson, he's got some Miles Garrett speed to him. Miles Garrett's a bigger Let defensive me, lineman. Can though.
0: I throw out a fun hypothetical? Sure. So what if the Cardinals stay at three, draft Will Anderson... And then they
1: put Isaiah Simmons opposite him. Doesn't that uh, seem fun? Fun, I like yes. That. I, I don't like know if I lot. like tampering too much with Isaiah Simmons. I'd keep him in the middle. Okay, but maybe the edge is where he's supposed to be. The reason, see, it's funny because anecdotally, you want to go back to Hassan Reddick and be like, man, if we had just made that move sooner, the Cardinals would have had one of the best pass rushers in the league still. Okay, how about
0: Zayvon Collins? That's not that long ago. He was an edge rusher at Tulsa. They made him a middle linebacker.
1: Zavin moved to middle before he went to the NFL, though.
0: saw Reddick was, was a, was a pass, pass rusher who
1: they drafted, and then they turned him into a middle linebacker. did oh, They actually did not turn him into well, a linebacker. Well, they tried. They tried. <laughs> Isaiah Simmons was playing safety and corner and linebacker. I mean, he was playing a lot of things. They just needed to hone in on one really good position, and I don't feel that they've done that effectively yet. Okay, counter, I have confidence they can. Counterpoint. Where has Isaiah Simmons been the most effective as a Cardinal? I think linebacker. When he gets into the backfield, though. That's when you notice him the most. Yes, that's my point. I think that's when you notice him the most. So put him in the area where he can do the most destruction, right? Maybe. Maybe he could be a pass rusher. But I don't don't want to do that just because you don't have another option. Okay, but I
0: also don't think he's great in coverage. That's fair. Why is he covering Justin Jefferson during a week seven game against the Vikings? I don't
1: want him covering Justin Jefferson.
0: I want him covering tight ends. This is what I mean. It's like offenses will be smart enough to motion their receivers into spots that create mismatches. And then you've got Isaiah Simmons covering Justin Jefferson. And I don't want that because I don't think that's where Isaiah Simmons is meant to be. Coming up next. So the Suns got Kevin Durant, right? That's their new. I heard about that. Goat. Turns out the other team that Matt Ishbia owns also got their GOAT. Yeah, she's coming back next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. This is Footnotes. This is the uh, time in the show where we get to talk about stuff we didn't get to talk about, but we can't dedicate full time to. And we're going to start with the news that broke today. Steve, as I'm sure you know, Phoenix Mercury, the counterpart to the Phoenix Suns here in the Valley, they've got their goat back. Like a foreign animal? Well, no, no, no. no. Like the best player to ever put on the Phoenix Mercury uniform. Phoenix Mercury announced today that the three-time WNBA champion Phoenix Mercury today re-signed the face of the franchise and the greatest of all time, Diana Taurasi. Did they put that in the year contract? Yes, they wrote that they in. They put greatest of all time in there. That's cool. Taurasi will continue with the Mercury, the only W-A- WNBA franchise for which she has played in season 19 in 2023. L- Listen
1: for me. I never expected Taurasi to go elsewhere. It that was too, more yeah. of a question of when she was going to call it quits and if her career was kind of coming to a close. And they, they made it very clear in this announcement that it is a multi-year deal, which means that she's committed for at least multiple seasons. I'm, I think that's great. I'm sure there's a
0: report out there about specifics, but I'm curious as to opt-outs, clauses, bonuses. I'm curious about all the financial details of that contract. But
1: end all be all, really, really excited to have DT back. I how the whole grinder Russia, thing impacted a lot of other WNBA players' abilities to go make money in Russia. Because I'm guessing a lot of them don't want to go. Interesting. it's,
0: It's very interesting, indeed. So Diana Taurasi is back, which is awesome. And that wasn't the only cool thing to happen for Arizona sports this week that we have not mentioned yet. The Arizona Coyotes at Mullet Arena on Wednesday. They hosted the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, if you follow hockey, you know, are the reigning Eastern Conference champion. They won two Stanley Cups in the last three years. They're pretty darn good at hockey. Fun fact. Connor Ingram was the goalie that night. And it was his first career shutout. He had 47 saves. Here's the kicker, Steve. It's historic. The most saves in a first career regular season shutout in NHL history dating back to 1955-56. Wow. Connor Ingram with 47. The
1: most saves in their first career shutout. Something he's going to remember for the rest of his life, probably. You
0: know who he beat out, kind of funnily enough? Who's that? Karel Vimelka with 46 back in 2021 with... As you know, the Arizona Coyotes. (laughs) Well, kind of took that away from him. So the Arizona Coyotes now have the top two... In their first career shutout, most saves in their first career shutout.
1: Yeah. They have the can, top two. At least we could say the Coyotes are really good at one thing, and that's making a lot of saves in the first ever shutout of a career. It's kind of a sp- specific stat, but, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Tim take we can get. stat, right? Yeah, it's very much so. It's,
0: hey, did you know about this, but also that it's this within this of On this a
1: Tuesday thing. when you ordered pizza for lunch <laughs> and... Speaking of historic
0: nights, Mikael Bridges, we were all sad to see him go, but he's certainly making a name for himself in Brooklyn. uh, Forty-five points on Wednesday night in their victory over the
1: Miami Heat. I've seen a lot of stuff about did the Suns hold him back? Was he being withheld from being? Stop it, Kendrick Perkins. I know. I I think really what happened here is Mikael has an opportunity in Brooklyn, unlike the one that he had in Phoenix. Yeah, in Phoenix, you kind of knew your role. You are the elite-level defensive player. We're going to ask you to score fifteen to 20 a night, and if you get more than that, great. He really took a step forward in the last couple of weeks before he got traded with the Suns. He was scoring 20, 25 a night, and I think that Mikkel Bridges was starting to take that leap before he got traded. Mm -hmm. Now that he's in Brooklyn and he's a primary option there offensively, the ceiling is the roof. We've got less than a minute
0: here. You mentioned to me, I don't know much about this, but the Super Bowl going to
1: Pay-per-view? Possibly. So John Skipper, former uh, president of ESPN, said on, I think, the Dan Levitard show that in the future, the Super Bowl could be pay-per-view, oh my meaning God. they're getting more of our money. No. And it please opens no. up a world of possibilities please please for no. entertainment. It's please. partially the same reason you're starting to see companies like Netflix cracking down on passwords. Oh my God. Just because things were the way they were for so long doesn't mean they'll always be that way.
0: And then really quickly, shout out Kent Summers, retiring from the Arizona Republic after 38 years. Hell of a career.
1: Speaking of retiring, we are going to retire for the rest of the show. Thank you to Mitch this my co-host, and Trevor Henry behind the glass. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday.